God and comics. Just free, free said, talking about comics. God and comics. God and comics. If you love God and you love comics, if you love comics and you think that they're the best, listen to these free priests talk about. It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, October 14th, 2015, and you're listening to God and Comics, the only show that offers you the uncensored, Jesus-juked, drunken ramblings of J. Jonah Jameson. On today's show, Spider-Man. We talk about why we love everyone's favorite webhead. We'll also talk about that famous phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, and what that means to us today. And we'll finally settle the question that has long been on the minds of Spider-Man fans. Who's the best girlfriend for Spidey? Mary Jane Watson, Gwen Stacy, Felicia Hardy, or a 57 Chevy? All this, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I am here at Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, on the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at Christ Church, Cooperstown, New York. Wonderful. Wonderful to, to see you guys and, and be all together here. And we'll jump right into our recommendation. Uh, and I believe that's me this, this time out, so... Here we go. Uh, My recommendation this time is a a new comic. The first issue actually just came out last week, and it is called Paper Girls. It's an image book. Uh, It is written by Brian K. Vaughn, and uh, the art is by Cliff Chang, with uh, Matt Wilson on colors and Jared K. Fletcher on letters. Brian K. Vaughn is, uh, amongst the many other things he's done is the writer of Saga, which is a, a fantastic ongoing series. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, you really should. Uh, Saga Saga is amazing. Um, but this is this is a, a completely new story, and it is about a group of paper girls, a group of girls who you know their job is to deliver papers, newspapers. So they're about twelve years old. And uh, it is described, Cliff Chang uh, described it as Stand By Me meets War of the Worlds. Uh, it takes place in 1988, and uh, which is one of the kind of wonderful things about it. There are so many little touches, especially in the artwork, uh, that are just wonderful for the nostalgia of, uh, maybe just for me, <laughs> me and other people who grew up in the 80s, but... Uh, you know, for example, there's like a far side calendar at one point. One of the girls has a Monster Squad poster on her wall, uh, which <laughs> made me very happy. 
but uh, it it the the story is um, about these these four girls. It sort of centers on this girl Erin, but then we also meet Tiffany and KJ and Mac as the story goes on. And uh, thus far, uh, it's on Halloween night. It's actually the the morning after Halloween, so All Saints Day morning. Uh, but they're delivering the paper, and there's still people out from Halloween, people walking around in Freddy Krueger masks and all this kind of thing. So these girls meet up, and we get a lot of the sort of color of who these girls are early on in the issue. Uh, but then later on, they end up in one of these houses that's under construction, and they discover this thing there that looks pretty otherworldly. And that leads to a whole different uh, set of adventures and, and, and running into some, some strange characters. And it's not entirely clear what's going on with these characters uh, that they run into, whether they're aliens or, or something else. But there is this amazingly tantalizing last panel that suggests that it, it, the story is going to be actually f- far more strange and interesting than we might have imagined otherwise. The art is really wonderful in this book. It's it's done by Cliff Chang, who is probably most well-known at this point for uh, his work on Wonder Woman, the, the, the New 52 uh, Wonder Woman. He was the artist on that for, you know, three years or, or what have you. And this is one of these times where I really wish that I had an art background so I could describe this better to you. It's all I can say is it's really specific and it's it's very focused on faces and expressions, which is actually in some ways that makes it a little bit similar to what Fiona Staples does, the artist on Saga. There's a brilliant use of color and and, and, you know, the art just really moves the story and makes it pop. So that's one of the things that I love about it. But it's also just such a crazy mashup of stuff. I mean, it's clearly a character kind of drama. It's sci-fi, it's mystery, it's thriller. It's perfect for Halloween coming up. And uh, so I'm just, I'm so excited about this book. And the great thing about it is this was a total, I didn't know anything about this book. It was a total surprise. I just pulled it off the shelf last week and said, ah, let me see a new image book. Realized it was Brian K. Vaughan and, and Cliff Chang and bought it just on the strength of that, and uh, had no idea. And then when I read it, you know, my immediate thought was, I have to read every issue of this. (laughs) Um, So I'm very excited for it, and I hope that many of you will enjoy it too. Paper Girls, number one, is out now. And by the way, double-sized first issue, which they are selling for $2.99. Wow. Wow. Let this be a lesson to you, Marvel. Uh, I don't know if you if you guys have heard about this, but Marvel, with their, their number ones that they're about to release, most of them are going to be 5 and $6. Oh, I felt the bite of that already. I bought Spy- Amazing Spider-Man number one, and it was 6 bucks. Yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous and unnecessary. So if you go to the comic store, you could get one issue of Spider-Man, or you could get two double-sized copies of the number one issue of Paper Girls <laughs> for the same price. So there Buy we are. one for a friend. That's e- exactly right. Exactly right. Well, uh, speaking of Spider-Man, our main topic today is Spider-Man. 
And I want to start by just asking the question, why do you love Spider-Man? So let's start with, um, let's start with Father Kyle. Father Kyle, why do you love Spider-Man? Well, you know, I think my love of Spider-Man, which goes all the way back as far as I can remember, I, I don't really know whether my first comic was a Spider-Man comic or a Batman comic, but um, it was one of the two, was my first attraction to him probably was due simply to the colorfulness of his costume and the colorfulness of the villains who are around him. But obviously over time, the reason that I continue to stick with him is much different. Um, I like Spider-Man because he has normal human emotions in a world where sometimes superheroes are very much godlike Um, He has the normal ups and downs of what it's like to be a teenager and a 20-something and a 30-something-year-old, I guess, now, uh, and to have the struggles of life that we all have. And I think I connected with Spider-Man on that level, especially as a kid. I would go back and read some of the early Stan Lee, uh, Steve Ditko um, issues that were reprinted in the Marvel Tales series, and I always felt some sort of a connection to him on that level, The, the feeling of being a nerd, which I guess I would have considered myself to be, um, was a real experience that I understood. The um, Liking the girls that don't like you, um, as he experienced with Liz Allen for a while and Betty Brant, um, I resonated with that kind of experience. Uh, but at the same time, he was this, you know, great superhero that would go out and... Um, could do his battles with a measure of humor with all the quips that he put out. And it's just carried on through. I think that, you know, as he grew up, I was growing up and I, I've kind of related to the character on that level. Well, I think I would echo many of the same things that, that, that father Kyle has mentioned. Um, the, the humanness of the character and be, and, and being able to sort of watch him develop as, as a character, you know, he had, he had real human milestones in his life, as well as having real human emotions. If you follow the series, you go back from the beginning. Um, you know, you've you've seen him graduate high school. You've seen him uh, graduate college and become a graduate student. You've seen him get married. You've seen his various apartment changes and and his his sort of um, financial struggles and his his history with his aunt and his his. His, uh, the various women in his life and friends. He always felt like a real person, along with being a, a, a superhero, and a real person that you can identify with. The compelling kind of personal drama of his life was every bit as interesting as his battles with Dr. Octopus of the Green Goblin. I can't even really remember how I got into Spider-Man. He's sort of been there for time out of mind, you know, since I was a small child. And I think probably one of my early, uh, earliest experiences with the character was through those Secret Wars uh, figurines that they, that they put out um, when I was a kid. The Spider-Man, both the, the, the original red suit and the black suit, uh, both of which were included in that Secret Wars you know, series of figures, were prized possessions of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I grew up, I, they, I used to watch the reruns of the, the animated cartoon from the 60s, 
the one with the theme song that everybody loves that the Ramones have covered. And, and so I used to watch that every morning before school. Also, my older brother collected Spider-Man. And um, he would always read us uh, the Spider-Man comics that, that he bought. And so, you know, I just have that kind of very, from very early on, that kind of sentimental attachment to the character. The character has had some, you know, some really great stories connected with him. I mean, everything from the, the alien costume Zaga to the, to the death of Gwen Stacy to, to, you know, when he got cosmic powers, you know, it's always, it was always a very exciting book to follow. And there was, there was always plenty of Spider-Man books. I mean, he was Marvel's flagship title, so he had you know at least three different comics. Yeah, there was a while where I where I started to think they were going to run out of adjectives to attach to him. You know, it was yeah. spectacular, <laughs> amazing, superior. You know, all of these things. Um, yeah, and so. then the web of Spider Man. Web of Spider Man. That's right. Yeah, and then just plain Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just and then they had Marvel Tales too, which was also one of my favorite uh, books because it, they reprinted all the old Spider-Man stories yeah, me too. and they once um, and, and, and so I followed them from early on too mm-hmm. um, and Marvel team up you know every every episode he was with another character from the Marvel universe my, my first introduction to Spider-Man which um, we've we've talked about this on the show before but it was the the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends cartoon. Oh yeah, where he was on there with Iceman and Firestar, and uh, I I definitely remember watching that and really enjoying that. And then I used to have a I had a Spidey action figure with suction cup hands that was attached to the window in my bedroom for a long time. And I, I have that action. Do figure. you really? <laughs> oh, I, I remember having that one too. When when it came out, it was a big. It was a big deal because there hadn't been really a Spider-Man action figure for since the Secret Wars one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, and I would say for for Spider-Man especially, you know, I didn't follow his story as as well as as certain other characters, but the the appeal for me as a kid for Spider-Man was just very very visceral. He looked really cool. And yeah. uh, I don't think we can underestimate that. Like, he probably has the coolest-looking outfit of all, at least anybody in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, in both the red and blue and the black iteration, yeah. I think. Yeah. I loved it when they changed to the black costume, and I still do. Um, I still do love it to this day. I just reread some of those stories recently. You know, I think for me, maybe this sounds too morbid, but for me... One of the best moments in Spider-Man was always the death of Gwen Stacy. That was a book. That was a book that literally made me. When I finally got to read it, it literally made me tear up. The Green Goblin, Norman Osborn at the time, had um, taken Gwen Stacy hostage atop the Brooklyn Bridge, and when Spider-Man went to uh, fight to retrieve her, the Green Goblin knocked her off the top of the Brooklyn Bridge, and in an effort to save her. He shot a web line at her that caught her heel. Spider-Man did, catching yeah. catching her heel, it caused her neck to snap due to the, the downward thrust, the sort of jerking back. So that's how he was complicit in the death of Gwen Stacy. But 
I just found that issue as one of the high points of Spider-Man that they were willing to do anything with this character and be real with this character. I mean, we all experience loss in this life. Maybe not as tragic as that, but we all experience loss. And I think that um, that, that was just a, a great connection to reality. Yeah, they, they, they from early on in, in Spider-Man, they, they've always been kind of willing to be to be real with the character. His, his story starts off with tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. and, but but he, I think he was one of the first superheroes to really have real-life problems. I mean, sure, um, you know, uh, the Hal Jordan or Clark Kent had, had, had problems with their, their girlfriends or, or whatever. But, I mean, Spider-Man got picked on at school. He had problems meeting his deadlines, you know, with his classes because he, you know, he was up all night fighting uh, the sand man. Uh, he he would get a cold, you know. Mm-hmm. He would be in the middle of a battle and his mask would rip, and he'd have to run away. And it would be in the newspaper the next day that he was a coward. Um, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, he, he his boss was a jerk. Um, his boss hated Spider-Man. I mean, you know, he right. never got any credit anywhere. He went from the police office. You know, his his aunt would 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 you know was over uh, coddling of him. Would make him carry an umbrella in public. He had trouble meeting his you know uh, paying his bills. You know, he had all these real problems that it, it brought a whole new human dimension to the superhero. He was also one of the first teenage superheroes that wasn't just like a sidekick he was the star of the book sure robin was a kid bucky was was a kid but um but spider-man was the star he was the hero he was the protagonist of the book and he was in high school that was unusual his his best friend was also addicted to drugs um harry harry osborne who's whose uh, father norman osborne was the green goblin had an addiction to pills and um you know that that was a groundbreaking uh, sort of thing for them to do they had the um they had to bypass the comics code to do that i think he was one of the first characters to sort of actually get married too yeah I, he was um, ahead of lois and clark mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i mean it's sue I, I think reed and sue richards who were both superheroes um, right. got got married, but um, but Spider Man, uh, you know, all the superheroes who have had these girlfriends, um, you know, they actually took this step of, of you know having Peter Parker settle down with one of them, right. <laughs> which, which was a big deal. I remember it was on the news and everything. It's the sort of thing that the the people who grew up reading Spider Man got married and went off and had families too, and now like Spider Man's growing up with them. Yeah, I think what you're putting your your finger on there, Father, is that that Spider-Man is a stand-in for the reader in a way that a lot of the other superheroes before him could not be. And so, you know, you had a development of of sidekicks in, in a lot of those DC books, in part because there needed to be a way for young boys especially who are reading these comics to feel like they could be in the action. And so maybe you can't be Batman, but you can be Robin. Um, you, you read something like Superman, and, and there, it's almost 
it's very hard to relate that that could be an experience that would happen to you. But you th- you could think to yourself, yeah, I could be Spider Man, you know. If uh-huh. a radioactive spider bit me, that's totally what I would do. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I guess he has certain characteristics as Peter Parker that are unusual. Like he is kind of a genius in terms of science and the fact that he developed web solution and stuff. You know, maybe not everybody would do that. But in general, he just feels like here's a guy who's suddenly had this thing hoisted upon him and he's trying to figure it out. And if I had this thing hoisted upon me, I might make some of the mis- same mistakes that he does. I might do some of the same things that he does, you know. So uh, that that adds to the relatability. And I think it's one of the reasons why the character keeps coming back in all of these pop culture formats. Uh, because otherwise, why why such an interest in, in, you know, all of these films and cartoons and things and if not for the fact that people feel like, you know, this is a guy who I can, I can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very well said. I think that is the sort of lasting appeal of the Spider-Man character. It presents the reader with the question, if I had these powers, if this happened to me, what choices would I make? What would I do with these powers? You know, Spider-Man, of course, in, in, the, in the origin story, his first impulse isn't to go out and, and, and fight crime. His first impulse is, well, I mean, he's going to become famous. He's going to make a lot of money. He, he starts a career in pro wrestling, and he becomes something of a, of, of a star. It, it looks as if, you know, the pathway that he's chosen is to sort of use these powers for his own personal gain. And... Um, I think that, that that certainly would be the uh, the temptation w- with anyone who who has who's granted you know any kind of power or authority is to use it for yourself. And the fact that they explored that kind of uh, that kind of, that dead temptation, that complex moral dilemma, uh, is another way in which in which Spider-Man is a very human character. Yeah, to use uh, to use theological language here for a moment, he really evidences uh, Augustine's curvatus in se. You know, the fact that we are all curved in on ourselves, and from the very beginning, that's exactly where he turns, showing himself to be a real sinner. Right? He turns mm-hmm. and thinks, "Well, I've got this great power, and now I'm going to use it to my own benefit and for my own glorification." So there's something profoundly human about that, and he justifies it to himself. Right, right, exactly. So I, I just need to do this so I can, you know, support my family or whatever it is. Um, right. Th- this is probably a good uh, transition point anyway because I want to talk about this origin story f- for him and what we think about the, 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 the kind of philosophy that underlies it. So just to sort of recap for people the origin story i think most people at this point have seen the movies or something and and know the basic idea but of course you know peter parker already by the way a victim of tragedy before we even begin to know his story right i mean his parents have long since died by the time we meet him as a high school student and he's been living with his uh uncle ben who's been taking a a break from making rice to to raise him um (laughs) and uh and Aunt May. And 
after he's bitten by this radioactive spider and he gets this spider strength and powers and so forth, uh, he, you know, at first is uh, basically using them for personal gain, as we've said. Um, and yet, uh, he, so he has this opportunity to stop a, a thief um, and use his power for, for good, this, this man who's, you know, kind of blowing by him and he doesn't, he doesn't do a thing to help, and the guy gets away... And uh, later on, that same man murders his Uncle Ben. And when he realizes that this man has murdered his uncle, uh, this is really the turning point for Spider-Man, right? This is the turning point for, I, now I've got to atone for this sin. I've got to make up for this terrible thing that I've done by taking out bad guys from now on. And... Prior to that time, you'd had Uncle Ben saying to him, "It's Uncle Ben is the originator of that line, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The one. So he had said that to him, but it hadn't set in. It's only, into, it's only after his uncle's death and he realizes he has his guilt moment and realizes that he was complicit in allowing this man to get away who, who had murdered, who then went on to murder his uncle. It's only then that that line really sets in for him. I mean, you say, well, somebody like Batman is motivated by revenge and uh, Superman is motivated by truth, justice in the American way or what have you. Sp Spider-Man is really motivated by guilt. <laughs> uh -huh. yes. and, yeah. um, and so, like, my question with that is, like, what do we make of that, especially as, as Christians? Like, what do we, <laughs> what do we make of, of a story where a guy is constantly trying to atone for himself and unable to do it? and uh, who is uh, sort of driven by guilt. It's the human story. I mean, that, <laughs> you said it well there. He's trying to atone for his own sins. You know, he knows that he's complicit in the death of Uncle Ben. He's also felt his own responsibility in the deaths of others who have died around him. You know, Captain George Stacy dies, Gwen Stacy's father, and he, he doesn't prevent it. He can't prevent it. And um, Gwen Stacy dies, and on and on the list goes, it seems, throughout his life. But he's always trying to atone for his responsibility in these matters. And even when he's tried to give up being Spider-Man, he can't give up being Spider-Man because that sense of guilt of responsibility is so strong. But, you know, really, this is, um, to use the language of Lutheranism here, this is really uh, him chasing after the law. The law is is haranguing him about his um, what he should be, and yet is not. He should have been the guy to step in and act responsibly and prevent his uncle from dying, but he's not. And that law constantly accuses him and constantly rides him, um, and he can't get out from under it. He thinks he can by his own works, but he can't in the end. So the moral of the story is Spider-Man needs a savior. <laughs> well, I, and his, you know, it, it's not as if you know he had this one moment of, of, of realization back in the beginning. This is this is a, a theme that continues throughout his life. This sense of responsibility, this wrestling with wanting to have his own life, with feeling the need to use his powers for for the common good. And, and he continues to struggle with the darker side of his nature, too. The whole idea of the alien symbiote 
which is the black suit, mm. you know, um, Venom that that, right? that that takes him over, and, and you know, in the middle of the night, and, and this this came out in in the very flawed Spider-Man three, um, <laughs> which which could have been a lot better. But um, some of the ways in which they interpreted that alien suit as, as sort of like his shadow, he's his hero, but uh, of course he he has this shadow side that he needs to reconcile himself with. One of the places in which his shadow was the most kind of apparent is uh, in one of the best Spider-Man stories, for my money, uh, one of my favorite Spider-Man stories ever, was the the death of Captain Gene DeWolf. Yeah. So so Gene DeWolf, this was a, 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 written by Peter David. It was fantastic. Uh, I think it was in Spectacular Spider-Man. Gene DeWolf was, was a, a, a captain on the police force, and she had been an ally of Spider-Man for quite some time. And she's killed by this deranged serial killer that's... Uh, he's, re- he's motivated by, by religious fanaticism. He calls himself the Sin Eater. And so Spider-Man is involved in, in trying to bring her killer to justice. He finds out that this person is actually someone he, he's gotten rather close to the identity of the Sin Eater, and he loses it. He loses it on the guy, and he, he, he beats him. I mean, this guy's just a, he doesn't have superpowers, but he beats him pretty severely, and Daredevil has to pull him off of this guy. And, and you know, in his moment of anger, not only for the death of his friend, but his own sort of humiliation, he uses his powers in a way where he could have killed this guy. And the guy has mental problems. I mean, he sees him later, and he's sort of like a very broken individual, and he has a permanent stutter because of what he's done to him. He has to confront, again, how, how is he going to use his power? Is he going to use it in a responsible way? He, he constantly has to come back to this sort of guiding principle. He's racked with guilt over this whole thing. And Spider-Man's always... A ball of kind of neurotic guilt. <laughs> he is, but he's he's also very quippy. So um, <laughs> it's kind That's of all a cover. He's kind of admitted that in the mm-hmm. comic books at times that that humor is done as a cover for his own anxiety when he's out fighting these villains that are older than him and perhaps more threatening in in his own mind. He uses the humor to kind of diffuse the situation. One thing I've really loved is getting to relive the Spider-Man story again in the reboot, the ultimate Spider-Man comic book. They get a fresh start with Spider-Man in the ultimate Spider-Man. They retell his story in a way that's faithful to the original, but it's not just like a retelling. It's, it's a new interpretation. You know, that in its own right has been, it's been a fantastic comic book series. Uh, of course, now the main character in that is Miles Morales, who is a different individual, is now Spider-Man. But Peter Parker throughout that is, is, is a teenager like he was in the beginning and wrestles with a lot of the same kind of like guilt and, and sense of responsibility. Yeah, you know, there's something very appealing to the, in particular to those sort of early day type of Spider-Man stories, which is why I think that Ultimate Spider-Man series 
is so good and so attractive to many people. Marvel has has tried to keep re-tapping into that time frame through various ways. They did a series in the 1990s. I think it came out in 1995 and ran for two years. It was called The Untold Tales of Spider-Man. Yeah, what Carpuseek. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a, a fantastic storyline and those were stories that were meant to fit into the in-between gaps between the early Stan Lee Steve Ditko stories. So you could, you know, read one and then read one of the untold tales of Spider-Man and see what happened in the days between issue number one and issue number two and so on. And they really did it in such a way that those stories fit well. I had a little qualm with the artwork, which was a little bit too 1990s. Um, but, <laughs> but on a whole, I think the writing was excellent. But they're even doing that again now. One of the series that I'm looking forward to this fall is a, is a new series called Spidey. And oh. these are also stories that are being set during Spider-Man's high school years. There's just, and there'll be in continuity. There'll be, you know, stories that deal with things that happened that weren't always told in the original, original series. But there's something about that time that keeps attracting people back again and again. No matter how much he gets developed as a character, I think we like those, those early struggles that he had. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that as he's matured as a character, and this is my own estimation, but as he has matured as a character, in some ways he's become a little bit less relatable. I don't know, Father Matt, if you're up on the most recent one. I know Father Jonathan's just kind of reading around on Spider-Man right now, but the most recent reboot that they just did, which came out last week with issue number one, now Parker Industries, he's become the head of his own industrial organization. Mm -hmm. Parker Industries has now taken off and become global in the wake of the Secret Wars event. And that means that he is now, you know, the head of a Fortune 500 type company. He has become um, this jet-setting playboy type of guy who now has Spider-Man as his bodyguard. And it's a well-established... Sort of like Tony Stark. <laughs> yes. And they even address that in the issue because of the, you know you could see the similarities. And so they have to address that in the issue and downplay. Well, Hey, I'm not Tony Stark. I'm not Iron Man, but yet well, there's, he works for, he worked for Tony Stark for a while. He did. Right. Yeah. During the civil war, um, storyline in Marvel, he's working for Tony Stark and Tony Stark even gave him that, that red and gold suit that he wore for a yeah. little while. Um, the iron spider costume, the, the iron spider, <laughs> which I'm not too crazy about. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, well, I think the problem is when you have a character that, that actually moves through time, as opposed to, say, someone like Bart Simpson, who is always, you know, whatever, nine years old, he, he moves through time. When do you stop it? There, there's going to come a time where he's going to be too old to be Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> and it also kind of gunks things up because... Um, he was a teenager in the sixties. Now I know comics come out once a month and all, but uh, I mean, it creates weird time continuity problems. If you look back, if you do any kind of flashback, Peter Parker was, uh, was, was dressing like it was the seventies. And what was that like five years ago? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, right. 
because the character uh, had so much realism, that becomes a real issue. So eventually you're faced with the idea of, of needing to, to sort of stop it or kill the character off. Or you have to reboot. I mean, this is why they do, you know, it, my, my thing has always been like, because I, I know some people, real sort of comics, hardcore people get really upset at the idea of rebooting. But the thing is, you kind of have to every once in a while, because otherwise it just gets to be ridiculous. Like it's been 75 years and the guy is still, you know, fresh faced, young, whatever. You know, at some point you have to reboot. My problem is that the way they seem to like to go about these reboots is to like throw out everything that worked before and then throw something yes. against the wall that uh, isn't necessarily going to make any sense. And, and you know, I mean, you got to give DC credit for at least when they did things like the New 52, it wasn't like, you know, and now Batman is a poor guy living on the... <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like they didn't like totally like... Well, in some cases they did Wonder Woman. They kind of did that too. But, you know, it wasn't like totally like, you know, oh, Superman's no longer from Krypton. Now he's an alien from Peru who is needing his green card. You know, like... Right. Um, and that's the yeah. problem. That You're right. That's the problem with Spider-Man. Um, the, the reboot before this current reboot, if you will, um, well, maybe it's several reboots back now, is the whole one more day storyline where they ended the marriage of Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. Mm -hmm. That was a moment, which I think probably stands next to the whole clone saga thing as a moment in, in the minds of a lot of Spider-Man fans where enough was enough. I mean, I'm still reeling a little bit from the effects of that because you had gotten to know them <laughs> as a couple. And all of a sudden now through some deal with the devil that they made literally, the whole marriage didn't exist anymore. So what's real? What, you know, yeah. all those years that we spent reading about Peter and Mary Jane's marriage now just don't exist. Mm -hmm. Well, see, and I, I think the problem is, 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 is with, uh, is, is more potent with, with Peter Parker than it is with other comic book characters. You know, if they reboot Captain America, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not too emotionally affected by that. But because of there's just such a strong identification between the reader and Peter Parker, it, re it really becomes a problem. And if they're wanting to attract younger readers, this is why they continually go back to the, uh, the high school phase. Because they're trying to keep Spider-Man current, trying to keep him relevant. Sure, it, it might be interesting for, for us to sort of see Peter Parker in our stage of life. But that's not necessarily making it relevant for a new audience. I, I heard an interview recently with Brian Michael Bendis from a couple of years ago where he was talking about writing Ultimate Spider-Man. And somebody said, uh, how, how do you come up with material to talk about this high school kid and his high school situations when you're, you know, long out of high school? And he, he said, you'd be surprised. I'm a pretty successful guy. And yet whenever I want to go to that emotional place of all of the terrible baggage of high school. I go there so quickly. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, that's so true. It's like all of these formats. This is why it's so universal because like you could be 
Bill Gates or, you know, like you'd be the most successful guy in the world. But like, you know, whatever weird, stupid thing happened to you when you were an awkward teenager that like lives somewhere in you for your whole life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. And you replay your high school um, dramas in real life as That's you get right. older. Yeah. All that stuff has a way of echoing back. Yep. Okay. Well, I, I want to ask one last question before we uh, jump off of here. I think it's only fair that we settle the controversy once and once and for all. Who is the best girlfriend or uh, companion to Spider-Man? Father Matt. I'm going to say Mary Jane, but in the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, she and Peter are 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 the perfect couple in 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 the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. They seem very compatible. But she does seem a bit different from the the Mary Jane of 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 the real world universe. But uh, I'm willing to be corrected on that, Father Kyle. <laughs> I, I I think you make very salient points. Um, I would actually go with the Mary Jane of the regular Spider-Man universe, and I think part of the appeal is that she is so not like him. Um, I think that there's just just something dynamic about their relationship because they are so opposite one another. He's that kind of bookish nerd and she's the, uh, the hot supermodel. Um, <laughs> isn't that every young man's dream? And so, well, way? yeah, I, I feel like that might've been a bit of a, speaking of living vicariously through Peter Parker, but, but That's I mean, right. part, part, of, part of that was part of what made that, uh, that pairing interesting was that, you never expected Peter Parker to end up with her. Right. You, you know, she was sort of the, the, the party girl. She was the, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, fantasy girl for a lot of the young guys reading the book. But what they did do is, is say, yeah, you know what? She has this party girl uh, persona, but underneath there, there's really a lot more depth to her. Yeah. That's right, and, and, and they brought that out, um, and, and they brought that out really right around the time where, where where they got married. You got to learn more about her troubled past and sort yeah. of you know some of the pain that she's covering over with that sort of actress uh, life of the party persona. Yeah, that's that's very well said, and that was the next point I was going to move to. If um, if any of you are interested, the issue to read is, um, or the graphic novel to read is Spider Man Parallel Lives, where they um, delve into this uh, actual fact that she's known since the very first night he became Spider Man. She knew he was Spider Man because she saw him outside the window crawling out of his house. And it turns out that the two of them, Mary Jane and Peter Parker, are exactly the same. They have the same sort of neuroses and the same sort of trouble over broken homes. And her disguise is the party girl and his disguise is Spider-Man. And so in ways that they seem opposite, in some ways they're actually the same person. That that is interesting. Now, Peter, uh, Mary Jane's character goes all the way back to this the stanley ditko but remember she was always like um it was aunt may's friend um um anna watson and anna watson uh, uh with who is is her aunt was always trying to set peter parker up and, and they said mary jane you do not like this nice girl and he was always avoiding the situation right um 
you know, like, oh gosh, yeah, she's got a great personality, right, 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 and uh, <laughs> and and, and, a, and the gag was when when he finally does meet her, it's the famous first line, uh, you know, with that splash page of her in the doorway where she says, "Face the tiger, you just hit the jackpot." <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but after Father Matt made the argument for Mary Jane from the Ultimate Universe, that that, that, that kind of makes sense. She's um, she's a little more like smartass in that <laughs> she definitely in that is. world, and and, uh, and so I like that. So I guess that would probably be my answer. But there is there is a small part of me I that really enjoys the Spider Man Felicia Hardy the the Black Cat uh, relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who pays any attention to that knows that it can't possibly go anywhere. You know, it's a, oh no, she was she was wrong. Hero, hero, <laughs> and a criminal. You know, and she's uh, she's always basically trying to bring out the worst in him. She rejects him when she finds out he's Peter Parker because she thinks he's too boring. You know, all those kind of things. And I know, so I know she's wrong for him, but it's just like I don't know why. It's just so fun but to like watch. Oh, 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 it is, it yeah. is. And I mean, Peter Parker, of course, is is completely captivated by her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and which, which you know, he he exercises very poor judgment. <laughs> yes, because uh, I mean, she just she's not really that interested in not being a criminal. She's just right. interested in being with Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, you all probably have lots of opinions about Spider-Man. As always, there's a lot more that can be said. Uh, If you want to share some of your thoughts on Spider-Man or related topics, why don't you hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash godandcomics, or on Twitter, twitter.com slash godandcomics. We would love to hear from you and, and continue the conversation. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment this or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? All right. Take it away, Father Matt. Okay. This one's for uh, Father Jonathan. This Spider-Mobile or a 57 Chevy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say the Spider-Copter. The spider yeah, I realize that's not one of the options that you gave me, but I'm just going to insert it in there and say it anyway. Have you seen the spider copter? That's a real thing. Oh, yes, it is, my friend. It is a real thing, and I know this because I have a spider copter replica sitting on my desk at home as we speak. It's amazing. Oh, well, it was a real thing in the toy world. I don't know that it was a real thing in the comic world. Don't care. It's the most <laughs> awesome thing that exists. It's a spider copter. Look it up. Oh, I, I, I've seen it. I've seen the toy. <laughs> okay, so Father Kyle, uh, <laughs> the Green Goblin or the Hobgoblin? Ah, uh, good question. I think I would go with the Hobgoblin. Um, particularly, let me let me qualify that. The Hobgoblin in his nineteen eighties into the early nineties form, mm-hmm. um, before he kind of went off the deep end. I always loved that um, with the Hobgoblin, they kept his his uh, secret identity a mystery for a really long time and played with the um, setting Flash Thompson up potentially as being the Hobgoblin and then had the Jack-O-Lantern take over, you know, the role of the Hobgoblin once the true Hobgoblin died. 
but I, I just thought there was something really cool about that guy. Can can I just say because we did it didn't really come up in the in the regular conversation, but have you all ever thought like Flash Thompson and um, what's what's his girlfriend's name? Um, the old one or the new Liz one? Liz Allen. Yes. He dated Felicia Hardy. Well, yeah, but I'm saying that in high school, so it's uh, Flash Thompson and and Liz. Liz. Allen. Yeah. Has it ever occurred to you or struck you that those two characters seem more like Archie characters than oh, like yeah, superhero absolutely. book characters? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's not yeah, just me. I, well, and, and no doubt they were somewhat modeled off of those yeah. characters. Uh, um, so uh, this one's for uh, Father Jonathan. Write one Eucharist or write two Eucharists? I believe that the correct answer to that question is right one Eucharist, my friends. No. But, but, but only because the Eucharist was not an option? <laughs> that is correct. Well, I'll reveal, I'll reveal a secret to the world here that, uh, that few, few people have heard, but this is my dream, you know. The, 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 there's been this thing called the u 2 Eucharist for several years now where they, they do the Eucharist to the music of U2 in an attempt to bring in the young people, um, by whom I assume they mean the people who were young in 1987 when U2 was, you know, um, still <laughs> at the top of their game. But anyhow... My idea is that we should, as long as we're creating these these silly things, we should uh, have a whole Eucharist service that revolves around, you know, maybe now that I'm saying this, I might have said this before on here, uh, but a whole service that revolves around former professional baseball player turned Mr. Belvedere star Bob Euchre. Uh, <laughs> and we call it the Bob Eucharist, you see. There you go. And Bob Eucharist. Yeah, it, it would it would just be it would be brilliant. So I'm, really... I'm not sure that has the same kind of built-in demographic, but uh, <laughs> you don't think that would bring the kids in? Yeah, not not entirely sure. Probably we'll we'll have to friend. pray about that one. <laughs> All the Mr. Belvedere fans that have just been waiting, you know. They're, they're looking for their entry point into the church, and we can provide it. That's right. I was thinking about a Michael Bolton Eucharist. Oh. <laughs> what would that look like? Well, it'd be a Eucharist with a no-talent ass clown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I might, I might have to uh, put this one in with, with explicit lyrics at this point. <laughs> um, put this episode in. Uh, no t- oh. Okay, so this one's for uh, uh, Father Kyle. Michael Bolton. <laughs> Was this or, rearranged? Or being kicked into genitals. <laughs> That's a very tough call there. <laughs> that says a lot. I think it might be six of one, half a dozen of another. Oh, man. <laughs> That's yeah, my, my, my mom used to play Michael Bolton on, 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 the, on the radio uh, all the time when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I'm still in therapy about that. Hey, I, I, had, I had myself a copy of Time, Love, and Tenderness when I was, you know, 10 years old. I ain't ashamed. I ain't ashamed. 
Have you guys seen you the? <laughs> I should be. Have you, you guys seen be. the um the thing he did with the Lonely Island? No. Where it was it no. was he did he? You guys have got to look this up. It's it's hilarious. He he does um a song where he's like he's supposed to be singing a hook while they're rapping. And they, you know, they're rapping about going out to the club and having a good time and, you know, meeting women and all this kind of stuff. And then, but uh, right before he came to the studio, he had just watched a movie marathon of the um, the Jack Sparrow, um, you know, Johnny Depp films. And that's what's still in his head. And so, like, they'll be rapping about all the club stuff and then they get to the chorus and he just starts singing about Jack Sparrow and how great... <laughs> How great Jack Sparrow is, and the Lonely Island guys are like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> it's it's very funny. Anyway, I have not seen that. We'll uh, link to it on the show page. All right. Okay, this one's for uh, Father Jonathan, Pope Francis, or Frank Stallone. <laughs> uh, Pope Francis. Do I even do I even need to have a reason for that one? Can I just I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone you ever like American actor, singer, songwriter, guitarist, and younger brother of Sylvester Stallone, Frank Stallone? <laughs> I'm I'm not saying I don't like Frank Stallone. I'm just saying that he's probably not in the same category as Pope Francis. Okay. I just asked because the two are inextricably linked for me. You so. think when you hear about one, you think of the other? Oh, of course. But uh, anyway, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> this one's for um, Father Kyle. Frank Stallone or 57 Chaffee? <laughs> Father Matt, are you just making these up on the spot today? <laughs> I, I, I am. I, I forgot to come up with <laughs> This all makes a lot more sense now. Okay. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'll, I'll, because of your convincing argument about the power of Frank Stallone, I'm going to go with Frank Stallone. 57 okay. Chevy never gets any love. Never gets any love. That's right. So, not uh, even from you. Not even, not even from, from me. You, the author of it. I know. What can I say? Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking here. <laughs> All right. Um, I wonder where I'm going to edit today. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Father Jonathan, here, here's one for you. Um, John Calvin or Calvin Klein? <laughs> um, now it's your turn to get in trouble with the Calvinists. Either way I go. Right? <laughs> or do they like to be called Kleinists? I don't know. I'm not really sure. It's um, a simple question. Jeez, just answer it already, Father John. I, I would have to say that when it comes down to it, uh, the, that John Calvin, at the end of the day, is probably the better, snappier dresser than Calvin Klein. 
So I, I, I approve of his clothing more than Calvin Klein's. There you go. There you go. He does have that kind of excellent hat. That's he right. Looks very warm. That's and right. And a ruffly collar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so in, in a similar vein, uh, Father Kyle, Martin Luther or Luther Vandross? <laughs> oh, Martin, Martin Luther. There's no question about that. And Are Martin Luther, sure? I am sure. Martin okay. Luther was also known to have an exquisite voice, although from what I hear, he sang quite uh, high-pitched. Not, not like as, Luther uh, Vandross. Not L- like Luther Vandross was smooth, and uh, yeah. Martin Luther may have been many things, but he was not smooth. <laughs> no, no, he was not. He was smooth in his own way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So um, I think we better we better kill this before it kills us. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's so that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes while you're there. We hope you'll leave a rating and a review. It, it helps other people to find the show. Also, please visit our show page at GodandComics.com where we always put up lots of show extras, Easter eggs, links, and a lot more stuff. Uh, our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this minute, is provided by Father Paul Wheatley always very thankful for that as it gets stuck in our heads each time out. Uh, Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matthew Crowder. We'll see you next time.